Let's take our Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin there in verse number 18. You doing okay this morning? Yeah. All right, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to open our Bibles and go to work. Uh, there in verse 18 through verse number 21 this morning. We're looking at a, a series, an 11-week series, and this is the second session on the subject of being changed. You know, most of us know that we need to be changed to some degree, right? Most of us. And then there are the people that you need to be very wary of that don't think that they need any change at all. All right? Here's the issue. Most of us see things in our own life and we say, this needs to go. Sometimes we see things from Scripture or even from someone's life that we admire. We say, that needs to start. But for some of us, it's difficult to know exactly where to start. And we know that our culture is full of self-improvement helps, books on how to be a better you. But the Word of God tells us that change, true lasting change, comes from somewhere totally different. It doesn't come from inside. It comes from outside. You see, see the difference? You, you know whether it's the gospel if it leaves us feeling bad. This is a warning. This morning's sermon, the message, the scripture is tough, tough stuff. Unless you're, I mean, logged on to a happy channel watching YouTube on your phone during church, you probably won't leave thinking, I am all that in a bag of chips. And here's what most of us do when we come across uncomfortable stuff in our culture. Whether we're watching TV or having conversation. Most of us, what we do is mentally or physically we just turn the channel, don't we? Right? Like the sad commercials come on TV. Most of us don't be like, guys, come here. Let's rewind this sad part about kids in Africa who are dying. Right? Like we are not attracted to those things. Sometimes, when it comes to God's Word, He loves us enough not to leave us what we are. Is that not good news? Alright, like, like He loves us that much. But here's where the rub usually happens for most of us. When we begin to feel, this is the word that we use in our culture, we begin to feel guilty or bad. The, the Bible uses a different word. It's the word conviction, meaning that God is kind of opening our eyes to what we are and what we have been all along. We just haven't realized it. We can have the tendency to mentally change the channel. Some of us, when we go to church, there's some of you guys, and you guys just like, like you, you're like, man, I got my toes stepped on all, all over today. Like, my toes are broken. Emergency room, I'm going there. And it was awesome. Thank you. But then nothing changes. That's like enjoying pain, right? And not wanting to get out of it. Now here's, here's the other thing. Some of us, we run from it. When we begin to look at passages in the Bible, and we're just like, man, this is just hardcore. It's punching me in the face. Some of us have the tendency to just change the channel. And I'm begging you this morning, don't change the channel. Alright? It's tough stuff. Let's look at it. We'll look at the front bookend, look at the back bookend. In verse number 18 of the book of Galatians, it says, But if you are led by the Spirit, meaning if you are controlled by God, if you've given your life to Him, He's in control of your life, not you. You are not under the law. Meaning that you're no longer trying to work your way into heaven. And then it says, the works of the flesh are evident. Meaning, 
the unchanged heart, whether you've been to jail or whether you've, you've never been, whether you're white collar, blue collar, he's saying that the, the fruit or the works, the produce of a life that's never had a heart change is evident. Let's go to the book in, in verse number 21. He says, this is the latter half of the verse. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's what's going on. He's writing to people who are new believers in Jesus Christ. And then he says, just in case you're wondering, here's a list of characteristics that if they're evident and driving in your life, you're going to hell. So we can look at God's word this morning, and this is a list of motivations, character traits of those who've never had a heart change and will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Now, last time I checked, church growth books say the way that you grow your church is you talk about hell a lot. They don't say that. But God loves us. And Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we believe the Bible is the word of God. It doesn't just contain it. It is the word of God. It's without error. And we want to teach it, okay? We don't want to lie to you guys. And you guys are too busy to come for an, for two hours on a Sunday morning. You guys are too busy to come and get lied to. All right? Y'all all right with that? What we'll do is we'll just unpack the text, what it says. We'll explain, let God work because we're not ashamed of his word. And to be honest, some of us, we have to realize that we're sick, that we're symptomatic, that we can't treat those symptoms before we'll ever go to the doctor. And Jesus wants us to come to him. So beginning in verse number 19, this is very, very important when it says the works of the flesh. When the Bible uses the word flesh, it's not talking about physical flesh. It's talking about our old nature, our nature that is tending towards selfishness. Now notice that you have the works of the flesh there in verse number 19, but go to verse 22. This is, we're going to get to the good encouraging stuff next week. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law, meaning that's the stuff that we want in our life, right? Some of you here this morning, like, I just pray that God would give my mom patience. That he would help my husband to develop love, right? And some of you guys, vacation is right around the corner. You're going to go to amusement parks and you're going to need patience, right? So all of these things, notice the contrast. He says that the works of the flesh are these things. But the fruit of the Spirit, you see, we don't produce the fruit of the Spirit, God does. What he's saying is that the things that we can naturally do, and it is a twisted, jacked up, oh my word, did we say that in church type of list. It is hardcore stuff. So the difference, he's saying what we can produce in our lives outside of God is works that really can't get us anywhere but hell. But if we give our lives to God, he's the one who begins to develop, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, which is things that we want but we can't produce on our own. So here are the symptoms. You guys ready? Okay, let's jump right in. The symptoms that reveal that we need a Savior beginning in verse 19 is sexual Immorality. He says that these things are manifest. He's saying that you don't need a Bible, you don't even need to be a Christian to recognize that these things are not really good things. In fact, most of the pagan writers around the time of Paul would agree that these things are probably not good, but they would just make excuses of why they keep falling into the same ditch time and time again. So what it means when the Bible is talking about sexual immorality, it's talking about sex before or outside of heterosexual marriage. 
Sex before or outside of heterosexual marriage. The Bible does teach that sex before marriage is a sin. It is wrong. It defiles the soul. And we'll see why. Now, in many cases, you talk to people who are even involved in churches today in the U.S., and we give this argument. If we're not married to a person, we say, well, I love him or her. Therefore, it's okay if we love each other, each other to be engaged in things that the Bible says are wrong. Here's a response. Love is just not an emotion. Okay? The way we know that is because some of us say, well, I loved him or her years ago, but I don't feel that way anymore. The culture's definition of love as an emotion doesn't even last in our culture. Love is not an emotion that gives us the warm fuzzies. Love is a commitment to do whatever is best for that person. And whatever is best for that person is not doing things that cause guilt and shame. Right? And we as men, if we love her, we will control ourselves. So the Bible says that if sexual immorality is there, um, then you do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The second uh, descriptor there, the second symptom would be impurity. What this literally means, it's a state of moral corruption. And it means kind of like your default is to think twisted. I'm sure we've talked to people before and it's just like everything has to be filtered through a perverted filter, right? Everything has to go back to sex. Everything has to go back to a dirty joke. Everything has to go back to an innuendo. The Bible says that when we engage in what the Bible says is wrong, it begins to mess with our thinking so that we're not able to think in a pure way. And notice the next uh, descriptor there. We've got sexual immorality, which is the sin of the flesh. Then impurity. It begins to mess with our minds so that we're thinking about things that we shouldn't be thinking about. And then sensuality. That simply means debauchery. It means to be given over totally. It means to kind of like abandon yourself to perverted actions and thoughts. And we know the statistics on, on pornography and uh, Many guys are caught up in that today. And I just want to say, guys, with Jesus Christ, there is help and there is forgiveness. Amen, church? And if we get really honest with the, with the statistics, many men who are involved in church are hooked on Internet pornography. And here's a couple of things to think about. Um, we do know from studies that um, engaging in that sort of rewires the brain to where it almost carves, if you will, a tunnel that's very easy to fall into that ditch, to where sometimes you engage in that and you sin and there's so much guilt and you say, God, why did I do that again and again? Because it's rewiring the brain. God can change that, but here's something that I think would help us guys to consider if we are tempted by those things. Um, the girl on the screen, what we're finding out now from groups like Covenant Eyes, much of the pornography industry, especially a lot of the, uh, I guess they could call it independent stuff on the internet, those girls are not doing it because they want to or because they are paid. They do it because they're sex slaves. And that's here in America. They're forced to perform. They're poor. They are forced to strip. They're forced to do all of that. And they don't even get paid even in a worldly sense that should break our hearts right and to note the girl on the screen is someone's daughter probably many cases she's a single mom she's got a child i remember working um with some boys in a boys home in greenville south carolina and one of the boys had been brought in the night before and his mom was a dancer and she was an exotic dancer and she was hooked on crack cocaine and the state came in and had to forcibly take him from his mother dad wasn't in the picture and i just thought man i give, i wish that the guys that 
tempted and you go to the quote-unquote gentleman's club and you see the girl and she looks great. She's just beautiful physically. But to know that there is such a darkness, there's a brokenness. And to take a 20 and to put it onto her, whatever she's wearing, um, it's not it's not funny, right? And so, guys, if we're caught up in that, may God break our hearts when we look at that and we're tempted to that, say that is somebody's little girl, that's possibly someone's mom, and she's a daughter of the king. But notice the progression, sexual immorality, giving in to temptation, making it possible, long dates in a car out, no, no accountability, and then we fall into sin, and the mind begins to think as it should not, and then we give ourselves over to the lust of the flesh. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then the next set begins in verse 20. A character trait of those who will not go to heaven would be idolatry. It means to worship images. And for some of us in America, we say, well, Jeff, I don't worship images. I don't have a statue in my home that I bow down and give fruit sacrifices to. But for some of us in the U.S., we create a God to kind of suit our sins. And it kind of goes like this. When we hear the tough things about God, the things that make us uncomfortable and guilty and nervous, we say, well, Jeff, I don't really believe that. I believe in a God of love. Is God love? Yeah, that's what the scripture says. But sometimes we would almost create a type of, it'd be like a a Santa Claus type of God. Who's like, you know what? You just kind of have your fun. I know college was college. I know that was your single life, but now you're married with kids. It's, it's, you know, don't worry about it. Everybody's got to have a release somehow. But somewhere deep inside our conscience, we know that we're not forgiven unless we've been changed and unless we've been saved. So here's where it begins to have the rubber meet the road for us. Some of us, we don't bow down to idols, but thoughts of our job, thoughts of retirement, thoughts of making money, thoughts of even family. Those can all be good things, but they take the place of God and we worship and we give emotional attention to things other than God. And idolatry is simply creating a God that says you're okay as you are and you don't need to change. Whereas the God of the Bible says you're not okay as you are, you need to change, you can't, but that's the reason why I sent my son Jesus, and I'm so thankful for that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, speaking of idolatry, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he's saying you don't even have to be in statue zip code, but if you have covetousness, desiring and wanting something that you don't have, being ungrateful, he says that's the same as idolatry, because it is. The next uh, descriptor here would be sorcery. It's very interesting when you look this up in the original language, the word sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, where we get our English word pharmacy. It had to do with those who would mix drugs for either poison or for weird seances, a demonic type of worship. And it's saying, you know what, I want to be in control, so what I'm going to use, I'm going to use the power of the enemy to try to bypass God to get what I really want. So you've got the sins of the flesh, then you've got the sins of idolatry, and then it begins to get into the personal relationships. Notice there, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Enmity means to live in hostility to other people and to live in with unease with God. It means to be an argumentative person. It means to set up walls against yourself and other people. It means to be angry continually. 
The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So here's where here's where in, enmity or hatred really begins to show itself. It means that when we have an attitude that pervades and saturates our life, and it's one of enmity, argument, argumentation, not being okay with other people, and being at unease with God. And then notice how that contributes to the next quality there, strife. Strife and discord means to be consistently arguing with God or other people. There's a verse in Proverbs, and, and ladies, watch out. It said it is better to dwell on the, on the corner of a rooftop than with a contentious woman. I quoted that verse one time, and there's a dude here. He's like, amen. I was like, you're brave. You are brave. It means, it means that, that we could say the environment of the home is one of strife and arguing and discord. Because here's the fact that some of us, we gloss over. That if we're not at peace with God, if we know that there's unforgiven sin, if there's guilt, and we're not okay with God, we can't be okay with other people. It's not possible. So what's going to happen is our, our, disrelation, our, our relationship that's not right with God begins to pour over to other people. It means to be engaged in fights and arguments. And James chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or your desires are at war within you? And for most of us, where those fights and arguments really begin is we think that we haven't been given what we deserve. In a sense, we think that God, we think that God has messed up. Notice how that contributes to jealousy, strife, enmity. Jealousy. Jealousy would be intense negative feelings towards someone else's successes. It means that when you see someone and they've done well in something, it means that it's almost impossible to say good job. It means that we're threatened by other people's successes. And notice how that feeds into the next one that's very rampant in many of our homes. Fits of anger. Fits of anger. It means outburst. It means a consistent eruption of damaging emotions. And we know how damaging anger and fits of anger can be from a parent. We're not going to ask for an amen. We're screaming and we're fighting and we're hatred and anger. We're people, it's kind of like the people in our lives, the people in our homes, relationships, walk on eggshells all the time because they're not really sure what's going to set off that powder keg of anger. That's going to end with screaming and fighting. The Bible says that's a work, that's a, that's a work of the flesh. And if that characterizes our lives, then we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus came to bring peace. Notice the next one. After anger, there's rivalries. You can also translate this selfish ambition. It means that we have a consistent It means to have a consistent agenda to be number one no matter what the cost is. It means that I have to be there. It means I have a mercenary spirit. It means to say I'm here to get my share and after that I don't give a rip. It means not to be a servant, but it means to be someone who's there to take. And notice the next descriptor. Y'all okay? It just seems really thick in here. All right? We've got dissensions, dissensions. That is, we could say, the disintegration of relationships. It means dividing people through conflict versus bringing peace. It means to be in a state of faction and division. It means to be driven by cliques. 
The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus came to destroy the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. Isn't that good news? That Jesus came to bring peace, but the fruit or the works of the flesh raise walls up. Then we have divisions and factions. It means to be opinionated over things that really don't matter. It means to be that person, that guy, that girl, that they will argue about anything. Have you been there before? That you just, maybe you don't even know, you don't even want to bring anything up. Like you don't even want to bring up weather, you don't want to bring up weather, you don't bring up sports, I mean anything, even, I mean fast food, nothing because the person is bent on arguing, bent on being first place instead of being a servant. And then you have um, the issue of envy after divisions, envy which would be kind of like jealousy in action. And the word for for jealousy is singular, but this word is plural. It means envies of all sort, if you could say that. It means to say, God, I deserve better than this, and I wish I could have that person. I wish I could be married to that person, or I wish I could have that body. I wish I could have that level of education. I wish I could have those type of people skills and being angry at God for something that we think that we deserve, but God hasn't given us. And it's we know that that's there in our life when it pains us when it brings pain to hear of the success of other people. Question, are we free in our hearts to say, you know what, I hope that that person succeeds. And there's a popular saying that we say, sometimes tongue-in-cheek, we say more power to you. But sometimes we're like, more power to you, right? The Bible says that if God is not at the centerpiece of our life, then we are. So really, it makes sense, Right? the works of the flesh, that it all has to be about us. The anger, it has to be about me. If it's not, then I'm going to get angry. If there's a rivalry, you see, I I, I want to be noticed. I want to be noticed. And if I'm not, then I get angry. Dissensions because I don't have my way. We use this illustration all the time. I mean, look at kids. One of my friends was saying the other the other week he brought his little daughter. She's getting ready to turn three years old. Brought her to Roanoke, and they had the little train that they that they ride. And another little girl walked up, wanted to get on the train, and she turned and she says, "No, you not get on." And then you're an embarrassed parent. He's like, "I'm sorry." She's trying to learn manners, and we're trying to work through all those things. You see, that's a microcosm of what the scripture is talking about, to where everything ultimately points to us. To where the underlying, the bottom line question is how. Does this affect me? And then you've got the sins that we call it intemperance. You've got drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. To where the orders come from the bottle and alcohol is in command instead of Jesus. And we have people who are functioning alcoholics all over our area. And to you who are beaten down by that, we say that there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is. But the Bible does say that if the life is driven, if the life is characterized by being led by the bottle or the can, then you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven because the heart has not been changed. And then you have, notice how this is kind of strange here. Um, It uses the word orgies. All right. That's a sordid, uncomfortable word. But notice that it comes right after drunkenness. Many mistakes that people have made, it's because... We were drunk. Not going to ask for a show of hands. But what alcohol does is it lowers our inhibitions so that we will say and do things that we wouldn't normally do. And notice he says, and things like these. The Apostle Paul saying, look, I could go on and on and on and on about the works of an unchanged heart that all go back to me. But he's saying that these things, the result is that you do not inherit the kingdom of God. You guys glad you came to church?
Okay? It's about right now. Some people are like, okay, okay, I, 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 may not, I may not be involved in orgies on the weekend, but, but the anger and, and, and just the unchrist-like things, like that's, that's me. Like I, I'm just there. And I may not do it all the time, but I know that's like the pervading atmosphere of my life. And if I ask my wife or my husband or my son or daughter, they would say, yeah, that's pretty much you as long as you don't get mad if I'm really saying it straight. And then we say, okay, well, how do I respond? For some of us, we say, okay, well, I gotta stop doing these things. I gotta start going to church. That's the response of a religion and it doesn't save. Some of us, we say, well, I can, maybe I can go, I can go to counseling. Counseling doesn't save. Some of us, we say, well, I gotta got get, get help with, with this or that. I gotta start doing these things more. None of those things save, but Jesus saves. Repentance saying, God, I'm broken over these things. I know they're wrong, but I have to admit I can't fix them. That is one of the most difficult things to ever admit, is it not? Because we see what's wrong in our life. Like we won't tell other people, maybe a close friend, like, dude, I got, I got issues. And I don't, I don't even articulate that. I don't, I don't say that, but I say that I know that I've got issues. But the question is, is how does it change? Only Jesus is able to change it. To be symptomatic, to see these symptoms and to say, you know what, I can't do it. See, the way that God is calling us to respond is to acknowledge our need for a Savior and begin to follow Jesus. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 13 and verses 3 and 5, he says, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The takeaway for some here this morning is to just give your life to Jesus Christ. To say, I'm ready to live my life for Jesus Christ. I'm willing to be baptized. I know that baptism doesn't save, but I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And he will begin to change you so that your home will no longer be characterized by these things, but it will be characterized, go to verse 22, by love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And people will be like, I, did you get abducted by aliens? Like, what happened? They'll see the change. And you don't give up. Well, I just really tried hard. And I reached down and grabbed myself by my bootstraps. And I'm just doing so much better. And I've been... No, we say Jesus. Jesus. Some people say church. We don't save people. I don't save people, Rocky Mount Baptist Church does not. Hopefully God uses it to share his word, right? But Jesus is the one who saves. But then the question becomes, Jeff, I thought I've given my life to Christ, but I saw myself in some of these character qualities. At what point has there really been a change? It's a great statement by John Calvin. He says, for who is there who does not labor under one or another of these sins? Can I get an amen? And he says, Paul does not threaten that they shall be excluded from the kingdom of God, all who have sinned, but all who remain impenitent, meaning all who say, I will not turn to God. He says, all the threatenings of God's judgments call us to repentance for which pardon or forgiveness is always ready with God. It means that when we get saved, y'all, this is so important. That we don't lose the desires of the flesh. We'll still be tempted. Guys, and we're checking email. And we get that rogue weaponized email from the porn industry. And it's some woman who's not even real. There's a temptation. 
But the beauty of the gospel is that once we get saved, we don't have to obey. We'll still be tempted. Some of you say, well, Jeff, I used to drink like a fish. Then Jesus came into my life, and I know I have freedom in Christ, but I don't want to be involved in those things that were dragging me down. And sometimes it's been a bad day. I mean, it's one of those days you feel like punching somebody in the throat multiple times. And you say, man, if I could just get a, if I could just get a couple of tall boys and kick back, everything would be good. But you know the voice of the conscience and Jesus Christ says, that's the way down, down, down. And you say, you know what? For the first time, I have a choice. For the first time, you could say free will is activated to be able to not be a slave to these things. It's a beautiful thing, the gospel. But if you've been saved, you will struggle with the flesh. You will struggle with desires. You will struggle with sins. Some of us, we say, why, why, why did I do that? I, I, I know Jesus changed me, but I did the same stinking thing again. Guess what the Apostle Paul says, Romans chapter 7. He says, the things that I hate, I do. Things I really want to do, I don't always do. But what it means is that you, for the first time, you and I, for the first time, we begin to struggle with the flesh. Whereas before the flesh, it would be like John Cena versus a toddler. We had no choice. We had no chance. We were dominated first off. And by the way, grown guys over the age of like 30, you do know that wrestling's not real. All right. Some of you guys are never coming back. You're blown away. All right. It means that for the first time there is freedom not to have to follow the desires of the flesh. Martin Luther, and this is in your notes, he said, let Christians then, people who've been changed. And by the way, a Christian is not someone who just comes to church. A Christian is someone who follows Christ. It means a person who's given their life to Christ and been changed. He says, Christians then endeavor to avoid the works of the flesh, but the desires or lusts of the flesh they cannot avoid. And so if you're a fighter, welcome to the greatest fight in all the universe is to fight against the flesh through the power of Jesus. Through the power of Jesus. And it very well could be some of you are like, just Jeff, I, I'm new to church. I feel dirty. I feel, I feel unclean. I feel like I should leave. I'm not, de- I'm not deserving to be here. There's a story that Matt Chandler told when he had been, he was a new Christian and he brought this, uh, this lady who had been involved, um, she had been involved in prostitution. He was there with some Christian friends and they reached out to her. She came to a revival meeting. And he said there was an evangelist who got a rose and he just said, why don't you pass this around? Huge group. And they began to pass around the rose. And he said, by the end of the sermon, it came to the front. It was just all broken and half the petals were off. And the evangelist wrongly said, now who would want this? Look at it. Who would want this? And Matt said, I wanted to stand up and scream, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus became sin. He was, he was judged for us, Jesus. You see, Jesus wants the broken rose. Adrian Rogers said, men throw away broken things, but it seems that God never uses anything until he breaks it. Is that not good news? That we look through all this and say, I am, I am, I'm that. And I'm ashamed. But that's why Jesus can save you. Jesus did not come for self-righteous people because self-righteous people don't see their need for Jesus. You see. Good people here. Unless we realize we're not, Jesus won't work. But if we say, I am this. 
I need Jesus. He will change your life. He will forgive you of your sin. He will make you brand new because Jesus wants what is broken. And Jesus wants what is broken so that he can put those pieces back together and he can make something that's beautiful from ashes. If you've had a dirty past, you are in the right place today. And Jesus is a mighty Savior. And Jesus says that there is no one that you can save to the uttermost. That means that you can go to the lowest, lowest level of life. You can go to the ditch on Bourbon Street and find people and you can say with confidence, Jesus can change you and Jesus can save you. There are story after story after story after story of people who have come from religious pride, from anger, from bitterness, from envy, from alcoholism, from drug use, to sexual sins of all sorts. But they came to Jesus and he makes them clean. Only Jesus can save.